Welcome to Foss and Crafts, a podcast about free software, free culture, and making things together. With my co-host, Dr. Morgan Lemmerweber, and my co-host, Christopher Lemmerweber. I feel like I need to do your full name, because you did mine. Yeah, well, I had to do yours to get the title in there. What's with the doctor, doctor? So, this past week, I successfully defended my dissertation, which was the last stage in the process of my PhD program. Okay, great. If you've been listening to this show, you're probably familiar with that being kind of a long-running background thing about Morgan's dissertation being in the background, etc., but you're you're fully done with it right now? Nothing left to do? Well, I have some minor revisions and edits to do on my dissertation that came out of the conversation in my defense, and then I need to submit it, but other than that, I'm done. Okay. So what we wanted to do with this episode then was actually kind of provide an overview of what the graduate school process is like. For me. And we're going to start off with a caveat that um, this is anecdotal evidence from my own life. And it varies around the world from university to university, et cetera, From et cetera. department to department, yes. Okay. Why don't you first give us the broad sweep of what your grad school process was like? Just like the broad from where it started to where it ended, just like high level. High level. I did a master's degree at Northern Illinois University in art history. And then I did my PhD in art history at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. All right, great. And basically, it kind of really started at the end of your undergrad program, though, mm -hmm. right? Because you you were starting to think about your graduate school stuff, though it wasn't actually until after grad school that you started applying for your master's program. Is that right? Yes. So I, a lot of people apply for graduate school during their senior year of college or university, but I had a heavy course load that year. So I decided to wait and devote the next year to applying uh, for graduate school. But then it turned into two years. But then it turned into two years. And since we're talking about the process, we're going to talk about the painful parts too. So um, the first year I applied... I only applied to five programs total, and I applied to only programs that were combined programs, where basically you get your master's degree along the way to getting your PhD. And I did that because they tend to be quicker than if you do them separately. However, they also often tend to be more prestigious and harder to get into. So you did not get accepted the first time. And it was pretty hard. I remember you being in tears a lot for the next week. Yes. Um, and I think you also kind of threw yourself into wedding planning because we were getting married around then in order to have something to focus on, basically. Yes, in order to distract myself from my failed career. But you did reapply and get in. And one of the major things I remember being um, that you ended up doing the second time, and in addition to applying to master's only programs, mm -hmm. you also focused on kind of upping your scores in one of the areas that you didn't do as well on because of your dyscalculi, mm -hmm. as far as I understand, on the, the GRE, which is, I don't remember what the name of that acronym is, but it's a basically the grad school um, standardized testing program, right? Yes. So uh, I took the GRE 
several times um, in order to try and increase my grades um, because I'm pretty sure that played a role in all of those rejections the first time over. And then the second year I applied, as Chris said, I diversified the programs that I applied to. So I applied to master's programs and the combined programs, and I applied to more schools as well. Mm -hmm. And I was accepted to several schools, but I had the best funding package for Northern Illinois University, um, and it was also near-ish to where we already lived and nearby my family. Yep. We moved from wonderful apartment in Andersonville in Chicago, Illinois, to a place that I called the DeClabs, which is really called DeKalb. I was not a big fan of DeKalb, Illinois, even though we know that other people do like it who have been there and had friends there and et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was a little bit disconnected from other people. But on the upside... Because of that, you kind of got through the program really fast in like two years, basically. Yes. So it, I took two years to get my master's degree, which is the kind of quick side of standard in the United States. I know in other countries, master's degrees often are only single year programs. In the first year of those two years, it was kind of more generalized coursework. In the second year, in addition to a full course load that I was taking and a full course load that I was teaching because, as I said, I had a good funding package at that university. And you taught all of the semesters you were there. And that's because I was a TA all four semesters that I was there. A teaching assistant. Okay. Which is basically you have a professor who teaches the lecture portion of the class and then you have a teaching assistant who does the more one-on-one and class participation portions. Okay, so... Zooming ahead towards the end of that program, you did end up finishing, but the end of that program also involved writing something. Although in the U.S., for master's programs, it's usually called a thesis, and Mm -hmm. for PhD programs, it's usually called a dissertation. Yes. Is that right? So in addition to the two years of coursework for my master's, I wrote a thesis on the use of women as decorative elements in Roman decorative arts, specifically stucco reliefs. And then I also took uh, comprehensive exams, which are basically like exams on slightly more focused areas of art history. And I did that in ancient art, medieval art, and Renaissance art. Mm -hmm. And I remember that a big portion of your thesis was on this thing called maenads. What the heck is a maenad? Uh, A maenad is different from a monad. Okay. Um, And a maenad is... A female follower of Bacchus. So basically a party lady, right? A Bacchus, party lady, yes. Because the, the B- Bacchus is like the party god, basically, right? Like, yeah, so you had both the mythological version of Maenads who uh, were part of the retinue of Bacchus, and then you also had like the real-life version of Maenads who were members of the cult of Bacchus, so like real Roman women who just celebrated this cult. And it's kind of hard. it was kind of hard to tell the difference between those two things too, right? Because people kind of told a lot of stories of the main ads and like they went out and they did all this stuff tearing people limb from limb and it's well, kinda... that's mostly the mythological ones that okay are tearing people limb from limb but it's kind of hard to like kind of hard to tell exactly which ones of these things were true and false because it was kind of like yeah this and, is... and in my and in my thesis uh the further abstraction is that almost all of the times that you have just like random women posing prettily as decorative elements um those are 
identified as maenads even when they don't have any of the attributes of maenads that would identify them as such right so for your piece you also especially focused on one specific piece well, right two, two specific uh, a pieces. pair of roman stucco reliefs at the art institute of chicago and you got you you actually had some degree of collaboration with that institution to did, do that to some right? degree yeah and okay so let, we're not going to focus on that too much in this episode about like that specific writing but um it's interesting just to get an idea of kind of doing all of that but that that was a very intense two years not only because you pushed hard to get through it fast but especially because in that last period well you you wh why don't you list the things that were happening in that last semester so not the last semester the last year the summer before my second year of my master's program i had made major spinal surgery mm -hmm. and then that last year i was taking a full course load of classes i was teaching a full course load of classes i was applying to phd programs i also was writing my thesis and preparing for my comprehensive exams and i presented at 12 conferences and symposia mm -hmm. so let's let's also take a note here that there were two graduate schools that you went to right one for your master's mm -hmm. one for your phd and that is because the school uh, for your master's program they had a terminal degree for art history for that was terminal and masters but for your degree in the general case the terminal degree is phd is that right yes so at northern illinois university or niu uh the they only had up to the master's level in their art history department which is what terminal means right? which is what terminal means and that worked to my benefit in that since they didn't have phd program or students in art history their master's students were the ones TAing for them, which is why I was fully funded there. Um, but in art history, there are so many art history PhD programs, so a master's is not considered a terminal degree in art history. If you want to work in a museum, then a lot of times you get a master's in art history with a certificate in museum studies. And and it's basically, what do you want to do with your degree, right? So like mm -hmm. you, a lot of your friends did stop at master's and that was mm -hmm. like the right career decision for them. But you wanted to teach in universities, mm -hmm. right? And it in general, since PhD options are available, that is a terminal degree, the market is competitive enough where you need to get a PhD. Is that basically right? Correct, yes. Okay, so we're already noting that we've moved already from Chicago to DeKalb, and you got in and accepted at University of Wisconsin-Madison is where you did your PhD, right? Yes. And so we moved again to Madison, a place I liked a lot more. Yes. Um, by a lot. Chris no longer felt socially isolated. That's right. Uh, met some very nice friends there. It was, a, it was also a really good program, but in different ways for you, right? Maybe it would be worth mentioning here, if somebody's listening to this and they're actually trying to think through whether or not they want to go to grad school, and also which grad schools they might choose to apply for or accept if they are accepted at, what kind of criteria did you think about? And of course, it's going to be very dramatically different from person to person. Yeah, and department to department, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So... You may have noticed if you're looking at this geographically, Illinois and Wisconsin are right next to each other, um, and we are both from the Midwest, so 
NIU was close to where my family lives. And uh, University of Wisconsin, Madison, was close to where Chris's family lives. So geographic location played a part in um, my decision to go to those locations. Also, the faculty is a major thing that you want to look at. I had phenomenal advisors in both of my programs. And before you consider a graduate program, you want to look at what faculty you are going to be working with. Because... When you're applying to graduate school, maybe slightly less so for a master's program, but definitely for a PhD program, you are applying to be someone specific student. And you need to know that there's going to be someone in that department who has research interests that align with yours and who is available to take on new graduate students and who is interested in your work. And... A, a tip that you, I generally have heard you give other people is ask people who are either in the program or who have been in the program what they think of the program, right? Yes. it's. I mean, you should absolutely talk to the faculty, but if you have the ability to speak to either current or previous graduate students of the faculty that you want to work with, you absolutely should. And if you have the opportunity to have those conversations when the faculty is not present, then that's even better. Because then you can have more honest conversation. Yeah. And even if even if it's all still positive, you can have more frank discussions if the faculty are not present. Well, and you can believe, even if it's all positive, that all that positive stuff is sincere if there, it doesn't feel like somebody is pressured. Yes, exactly. And also... I think that it's maybe important to note if you're considering things. We talked about how I applied to schools that I did not get into initially. And then I got my master's degree. I vastly improved my writing skills. I improved my GPA from what it was uh, as an undergrad. You got better GRE scores. It, I got better GRE scores. Including including in the area that you had difficulty in. Including in math, because I had a wonderful tutor in the form of Chris. Thank you. And I was not an easy student for math because of the dyscalculia. And I had applied for University of Wisconsin-Madison previously and was not accepted. That was when you were applying for the master's program and also for the combined program, right? Yes. And then I went and I got my master's degree So I loved my master's program and I'm not trying to disparage it, but Madison is a higher level, a higher tier of research institution. So I got my master's degree at a less prestigious school, but the program itself was wonderful for me. And that allowed me to then get into... We're talking about like public recognition of prestige here. That does not actually necessarily reflect what a person's personal experiences will be mm-hmm. it means what the kind of general public perspective of what those kinds of things are right? yeah and like, when you look at academic rankings yeah and stuff like that so if you apply for a graduate program and you're rejected that rejection is not necessarily your final rejection right so you did go the separate masters and then phd route which works although it is more time mm-hmm. right and Let's try to quickly walk through the path from when you first got in mm-hmm. to when you ended up starting to write. Like what, what happened in between that time period? So the first couple of years of my PhD program were doing coursework. 
which was slightly more focused than my master's degree because I already had a master's degree and I already had my area of of specialization chosen. It took a little bit longer for you than for some other people because of... Because of the area of specialization I have in Roman art and archaeology, there were a lot more language requirements for me. So most people only are required to have two modern languages. I was required to have Latin, Classical Greek, well, I already had French, Italian, German, and a little bit of Spanish. And Lojban, right? No Lojban, although I do know a little bit of Klingon. Just a little bit, though. Just a little bit. And English. And English. Sorry, I didn't count English as a language requirement. So you got through your coursework. You were also, you had, so I guess one of the big other things is, what is your funding package? Do you have Mm -hmm. to pay or are they paying you? Do you have to pay for the tuition? You got full funding for your master's program. I got full funding for my master's program. But for my PhD program, I did not get guaranteed funding. So for my first year, I got funding from an outside program that I participated in. And then I had project assistantships for the next several years, which is where I worked for specific professors doing mostly digital humanities adjacent work. You basically did that all the way up until the end of your focus yes which we'll talk we'll we'll talk about when we get there but that like even when you were writing you were basically doing that for a good portion of it for a good portion of it yes. okay so you had your coursework you were also doing this other work that you were doing and then what happens how how what are the remaining steps to get to the point where you can start writing your dissertation so then i had my preliminary exams which were, again, more focused in my PhD program than they were in my master's program. And basically, it was three areas of ancient art that I was focusing on. Basically, the exams themselves were in essay format. And then after my committee had a week to review them, then we got together and they asked me more pointed questions about my responses. And you got through that. And then is that when you ended up uh, starting writing? That's when I started working on my dissertation, but not writing my dissertation yet. So first you have to write a prospectus, which is basically you have to identify your dissertation topic, Uh have that topic preliminarily approved, and then you write a, I think mine was like 13 page document about what you are going to write in your dissertation. And then you have to defend it in front of the committee. And then you have to defend that, which again is a panel in this case with... Your full uh, dissertation committee, which is five. Not to mention uh, finding who's on your committee. Yes, finding who's on your committee, which can be interesting because your dissertation committee has to be more focused, right? So um, finding people who are experts in your area can prove tricky. And because your dissertation was interdisciplinary, you actually drew on a bunch of people who were outside of your department specifically. Yes. So I had two people from the art history department, two people from classics, and one person from history. So I think that it would be useful for you to, we're not going to go too deep into it, but for you to explain what dissertation topic you chose and how did you come about choosing that dissertation topic? What inspired you to choose that dissertation topic? So my dissertation topic is on women and textile production in the Roman Empire and basically looking at the ways that women participated both 
in a domestic context and in a commercial context. And then in the end, I decided that that distinction was kind of arbitrary. And that's looked, a large portion of your dissertation. Yeah. And looked at the way that those lines were much more mobile than so, we think about them. All right. So now you have a topic. You mm-hmm. defended in front of a committee. You're, yep. you're, um, and actually, for you in particular, you you did something fun during your defense, right? You it was actually related to, I mean, it's important to how you represent yourself and the 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 visual appearance when you go and walk in front of a group of people and defend defend your topic, right? So, mm-hmm. what did you do? So, at one point uh, in a meeting with my advisor before the prospectus defense, I was talking about how my interest in this came about because I was a crafter, which we've already compassed many, many times on this show. And my advisor's like, but you don't actually make your clothes. And I'm like, well, I made this coat that I'm wearing and I made my purse. And he's like, okay, but you didn't like make the fabric, right? Which the answer was no, I hadn't made that fabric. So for my prospectus defense, I spun yarn that I then knit into a sweater vest that I wore to my defense so that I could specifically say that I was wearing clothing that I did spin myself. So that whole episode that we have from like the, from sheep to sweater, that was basically what you did to go in there and you mm-hmm. dyed it too. And... I did not dye it myself. No. Oh, you didn't dye it. I bought it pre-dyed. Oh, okay. But part of the key point here is the way that you selected your dissertation topic was based off of your interests, right? So that was a hobby before it became your dissertation topic. Is that right? Well, it depends on how you define that. I didn't learn to spin until I was looking for dissertation topics because spinning was the primary job that women did in the textile. Okay, so they um, fed into each other, basically. Yeah, so I, I had been participating in fiber arts and textile crafts but then for you, most of my life. But then you kind of realized that you could do this as your dissertation topic. Yes. Okay. Good, good. So now it's time to start writing. Mm-hmm. And it was about three, four years before you got to the point where you could start writing. Is that right? Yeah. So there was a lot of research before you start writing, obviously. And some of that research drew on research that I did for my preliminary exams. And if you pick your preliminary exam topics well, then that's how it goes that you basically do preliminary uh dissertation research while you're studying for your exams yeah so i did a lot of research and then i started writing but unlike a assignment for a course or something like that when you're writing a dissertation it's much more individually like self-driven and unstructured and unstructured and this is where a lot of people drop out yes ABD, what does that mean? A lot of people end up ABD, which means that they got all but their dissertation done in their PhD program. And you are at the ABD status while you're writing, basically. But the, 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 the reason why ABD is a scary term is that a lot of people know... That ABD is also where a lot of people stop, right? Yes, it's it's a really hard process. And the level of involvement of your advisors is going to vary greatly. And the very the level of involvement that different people want is also going to vary greatly, right? Some people yeah. want a very hands-on advisor that checks in with them every week. And some people want, you know, just leave me alone and let me write, right? Yes. So it's it's hard to find the balance. 
when you're doing that, especially because at this time I was still either doing project assistantships or doing hourly work for digital humanities projects or trying to find funding to continue. And then at a certain point, Chris and I just decided that I needed to just stop. You needed to focus. I needed to focus on writing my dissertation. Also, without going into it, let's also say that it was also difficult because there were a lot of things happening with members of your family, and we're not going to go into specifically what, but because you were at this ABD stage, it was so easy for everyone to say, well, let's pull Morgan in for this and that and the other thing, and that made it hard for you to work. When you don't have a structured work schedule, it's easier for other people to assume that you're available. And even for yourself, right? You you kept falling into that trap too, right? I did, yes. And I think the other big challenge that ended up happening is that you had a lot of really great programs that you ended up getting to do as in terms of the experiences you got from working on these digital humanities projects from being involved in these like teaching programs for high schoolers and things like that like that was all really great but it's so easy to cut up your week what i think what kept happening with you is you got and tell me if i'm wrong a professor would say i really want to work with morgan Mm-hmm. And I have this great PA ship lined up and it's hard for you to say no. Yes. Right. And it was they it was good experience, but that thing had specific structured deadlines that you had to do every week and hours you had to submit. Mm-hmm. And then your dissertation didn't have that. Well, and I tried to stick to specific structured times and hours I needed to submit for the project assistantships, but Even if I had my schedule set so that it was like Tuesdays and Thursdays, I was working a specific number of hours on those days, I would get an email on a Wednesday and I would be like, oh, I'm going to respond to this really quick. And it was never really quick. (laughs) So one of the things that I like to say is the most important job of management in any institution is protecting the flow and focus of their employees. And this kind of structure made it really hard for you to stay focused. Mm -hmm. And so this is partly why we ended up making the decision that we did where I I said, Morgan, the next funding you get is the Lemmer Weber Finish Your Dissertation Fund, which was Mm -hmm. me basically saying to you, just don't take another job. We're going to and we we moved to an area where we knew where we could afford to focus and settle down there would be job opportunities around and where we would have health insurance and we were where we would have health insurance with you know massachusetts has state health insurance because previously since chris has been an independent contractor previously we were getting our health insurance through my project assistantships that's right so that's part of the reason we moved to massachusetts and then it was morgan stay as focused as you can and there were still professors reaching out wanting to work with you on some stuff and it was Morgan, stay focused. And we also bought a house in the middle of it. Now it's distracting too. Yes. Um, planned a couple of conferences. Planned a couple of conferences. And then it was like, okay, Morgan, you know what? You just need to finish this thing. Once everything was cleared out of your path, you knocked out like 90% of your dissertation writing in like a year, right? Year and a half. Year and a half. Okay. Yeah. But I think that was really critical. And mm-hmm. I think part of – so I'm highlighting this. Because I think this is a big problem in many graduate school programs Mm -hmm. is a lot of them. The reason why so many people drop out in the ABD thing is it's so easy to set things up such that people have to write a book that they have to research and et cetera, et cetera. 
and that's the time in which they're given the least amount of structure but are also given funding opportunities that are mo- that are very easy to distract their actual work. Yes, and the expectations on graduate students is that graduate students are just expected to be balancing, you know, five different spinning balls <laughs> that they have to manage uh, while writing their dissertation. And um, it's also important to acknowledge that, like, we're coming from a position of privilege here. That where you could do that. I could do that. Um, we had enough money where I could focus on my dissertation and I didn't need to have a um, a source of funding in order to just focus on well, my dissertation. It's also because I'm a, I'm working remotely as a computer programmer. Mm-hmm. I could, we could we were able to find a place where we could get health insurance. We made mm-hmm. a specific choice to move to that area. And we moved to an area that had a low enough cost of living that That's we right. could we could afford for me not to work. That's right. If we had stayed in Madison or Chicago, that would have been more dif- difficult. Right. Yeah, that's a lot it's part of, that's why we're in western massachusetts not yeah, in boston yeah if we had been if we had moved to boston then we would have had health insurance but we would not have been able to survive on just chris's that's income. right that's right so um the good news is you once you got to that point you were able to focus and finish right and the end part there is scheduling the defense right mm-hmm. getting your so actually, why don't you give me, what's the end part? You're getting everything written. You're getting close to the end. And there's some steps because you actually yeah, have to get there, your, there your committee some, on board. There are some steps and some deadlines. Um, first, I had to submit a two-thirds draft um, last October of my dissertation. So most of the dissertation written, but not quite completed. Um, and... Then my committee had to read that and give me feedback. And then I had to finish writing my dissertation, which I finished uh, in March. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, there's a period of at least 30 days. In mine, it was more like a month and a half uh, between when you submit your draft of the entire dissertation Um, When you can't make any changes to it because your committee has to make their evaluation based off of that draft. Right. And they need the time to actually like read it and absorb. And and also leading up to that point, you also, you get, it's, it's generally, um, there's, there's also all of the things about how are you, how do you become confident in the mm-hmm. process of getting to these revisions and, and getting the editing done and everything like that? And the two-thirds draft has a lot to, a lot of factor. I had multiple people, including my advisor, tell me that um, they won't schedule your dissertation defense unless they are confident that you'll be able to pass it. Um, and that, I think, is, that, that decision is largely based off of that two-thirds draft when you're almost done and they have a pretty clear idea of the direction your dissertation is taking. 
And and for you, that getting that final draft in was also difficult because you were hitting health crises right around that time. Oh, I was, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, the stress was basically leading you to hit migraines and things like that. Al- like, also, the stress was so bad that my migraine meds stopped working. Right. So, right. that was fun. There were, there were a couple of points there where I was dictating my dissertation to Chris, who was typing because I couldn't physically look at a computer. Because I had migraines. Morgan and I do a lot of stuff where we both end up being very heavily involved in each other's work. And it's not always public and center yeah. in, in those types of things. But um, So yay for healthy, healthy support systems. And thank you, Chris. You're welcome. For helping me get through that. I was fishing for it. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> that's why you did it. For yeah, the that, public recognition. That's right. That's right. No. But uh, no, I mean, we... But I mean, Morgan also, you ran AKP Conf and all of those types of things, like both of us, I think. And Morgan also reviews and reads almost everything I publish. Yeah, we, we both we both uh, read and review almost everything the other one writes. So so before we get to the defense, this is that it's in the reason I'm bringing this up is not just because I'm looking for credit, although I appreciate the credit. Thank you. Uh, but it's actually because. There's an important thing here, which is what is your support system? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the big question, right? What is your support system? And for us, like we put out an episode just just recently about like the organ the get organized episode, right? Mm-hmm. And the reason that that's been really important is I'm I've generally for the last number of years been working on um, sprightly stuff, you know, as a um, on these grants that I've been kind of self directed, and you've been finishing her dissertation mm-hmm. and we both needed some sort of structure to be able to keep ourselves on on track and in check right yeah and if you don't have a spouse who is uh willing and or able to uh help you in that there are support systems for graduate students specifically and we talked a little bit in that get organized episode about the dissertation support group that I was part of when I was getting my master's program. I was also part of a similar, although the structure of it wasn't as useful for me, um, dissertation writing group at Madison um, for part of the time that I was writing my dissertation as well. Although that one was more just everyone sits in a room and writes and that didn't work as well with my ADD. Right. So, so, but you did get there, you got everything in. Um, the dissertation defense became scheduled mm-hmm. and you spent, I think, about a month having panic attacks. Is that about right? Month and a half. About a month and a half having panic attacks. Um, it, just, but, just frequently asking Chris, but what if I'm not good enough? It's a question we ask each other a lot. <laughs> uh, um, but the, the good thing is, is that both of us are highly more confident in the other person than we are in ourselves so yeah so we just have to trust that the other one is right that's right so um in in this particular circumstance though um we did have a lot of friends who have been through this process um including my advisor from undergrad who who would say things like they're not going to schedule you for this thing if they don't want to pass you Mm -hmm. right which does not mean that you are guaranteed to pass it means that you are being set up at that phase. You've already crossed a threshold where if you have your um, stuff together, you should be able to pass, right? Yeah, And they've read enough of your work and had enough conversations with you that they're confident in your ability to finish it. 
Yep. Um, successfully. All right. So let's zoom in to the last day where Morgan actually defends. Morgan gets ready. You are ready upstairs to do your defense. And uh, actually, do you mind if I give my perspective version of it? And then you can say what happened. So during Morgan's defense, I said, okay. And I cleared off my schedule so that I would not be doing other things or having other calls that might distract Morgan during Morgan's defense. And I sat downstairs and there's a thing I do sometimes where I do comics for Morgan that I then put in envelopes on little index cards and give them to Morgan, often about our cat and our previous cat who I draw as a ghost that haunts mm-hmm. our house. Um, there's and- an animosity between the the current cat and the ghost cat. That's right. And so I drew some comics, put them in an envelope and labeled the on- and a little letter and labeled the envelope um, with somebody being like, um, Miss Morgan, Ms. Morgan, Mr. Morgan, Captain Morgan, and like question mark. And then, of course, you know, if you open it, it's like Dr. Morgan. But it, that was kind of a risk because if I handed that to you and you hadn't passed, it could have been really bad. That, that would have that would have backfired. Yeah. But I'm sitting downstairs. You're on this voice over IP or this voice video call yeah. that you had set up the room for for your faculty to come or your, your members to come in and review and I can tell Morgan is nailing it. Like, the conversation sounds like it's going well. There's, like, laughter. There's um, lots of positive and enthusiastic responses and everything mm-hmm. like that. And actually, I guess the previous evening, we had done a run-through also, mm-hmm. right? Where I just asked you so, to explain things. I was having a panic attack, and Chris talked me down from the panic attack by having me just talk about my dissertation. And it was clear Morgan <laughs> had it. Like, you knew what you were doing. You were yeah. going to be able to do it. And so now let's give your perspective of things where what 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 ended up happening in the dissertation Um, defense. So it started off with me giving about a 15 to 20 minute um, summary of my dissertation. Even even before that, what was one of the things that one of your the people on the committee said? Oh, that's funny. So when I first signed on, I signed on about 10 minutes early since I was the one who set up the room and I had to accept people into it um and the first person who joined we were just kind of like having small talk because there was one committee member and me in the room and he asked how i was doing and i'm like well this year's been horrible and i'm a little bit stressed but other than that i'm doing good and he said you should not be stressed about your dissertation no you should not be stressed about your dissertation defense yeah Which is like the thing that people are, of course, going to be the most stressed about. Yeah. So first thing, I was told not to be stressed about my dissertation defense, which actually kind of helped. (laughs) But it usually does not help to tell somebody, don't be stressed. That's usually like a very stressful thing. But in this case, it worked. Yeah. In this case, it worked. Uh, So then people gradually started showing up. We talked about the weather for a little bit until everyone showed up. And then um, I was asked to give a 20, 15 to 20 minute uh, short summary of my dissertation. So you which, basically gave a presentation without knowing ahead of time yeah, that you were going to have to give a I presentation. I was not aware that I was going to have to give a presentation, so I hadn't like directly prepared for that. So I just wung it and it went well. Huh. Um, I stopped a couple times and said... How much detail do you want me to go into? Because I could take the entire two hours of this thing and talk about my dissertation just without stopping. Which is a sign that you were prepared. Yeah. So um, I did that. And then each committee member took a turn 
asking me more direct questions about my dissertation and decisions that I made and things like that, which was actually honestly amazing because it also means that you've got a panel of experts in the area that you're studying, but they're not necessarily experts in your specific topic. So you're the expert in that specific topic. And then you've got this panel of incredibly brilliant people who are experts in the field who are like, have you considered looking at it from this position? And it makes so much sense and it opens new avenues. And they asked about the thing that was behind you. What was the thing that was behind you in your office? Oh yeah. As we talked about in the experiential experimental archaeology episode, I built a Roman two-beam loom. So sitting behind me in my office, coincidentally, in view of my video conference is this roman loom that i built and they did ask about that Mm -hmm. so you get through that they ask all the questions Mm -hmm. and then what happens at the end in normal circumstances i I should say this is being recorded in april of 2021 so this the last year and a half of this process happened during a pandemic which which is mostly when you did your writing which is mostly when i did my writing which is great for the actual writing It's bad if you need access to libraries, but I digress. So because this happened in a pandemic, my defense happened remotely via video conference. Normally in an in-person dissertation defense, you'll get to the point when everyone's asked their questions, the candidate has given all of their uh, responses, and then they ask you to step into the hallway, they close the door, and then they talk about whether or not they're going to pass you. But since this was on a video conference and I was the one that set up the video conference on this particular software, if I left, it would kick everybody it out. It would just shut down the entire conference. So Morgan call. came downstairs. So, so I just muted myself, took off my headphones, and just locked out of the room. I hid all the comics I was drawing. And I just sat on my couch for like 10 minutes while they discussed. And then my advisor called me and said, okay, you can come back to the room now. And he said, congratulations, doctor. Yep. And Chris was standing in the doorway, kind of like giggling. That's right. I did, I did, I did bomb your call as in terms of like jump in there right after, but it was after they called you doctor. It was after they called me doctor and they asked if I had any plans to celebrate. And I said, well, my spouse and I are probably going to get cupcakes to celebrate. And then Chris just photobombs my conference call to, to, to excitedly wave at my committee members yeah um and i was holding we'll put in the show notes the picture of me holding the mm-hmm. the envelope with the person being like mr morgan captain morgan you know and then and, and i actually texted a friend saying here i am holding this uh this packet if I, I hope i sure hope i'm reading the room right otherwise <laughs> else i really made a serious mistake here but yep you did. But I passed. You did pass. And I think Chris got a picture of me excitedly looking at my computer screen. <laughs> That's right. We will put that up there too. And, uh, that, and, and you also were wearing a garment that you made yourself again this time. Yes. It's not out of yarn that I spun myself. However, it is made out of yarn that I purchased when I was in Germany doing dissertation research. In on Trier, one of, right? In, in Trier in Germany doing dissertation research because that's one of the case study sites for my dissertation. Mm -hmm. And I went to a yarn shop and asked if they had any 
locally sourced wool. Mm-hmm. So it was wool that was pre-spun. It was yarn that was pre-spun, but it was relevant to my dissertation. Mm-hmm. And then you got off the call. You were, I think, teary-eyed because you you did it and overjoyed and elated because yep. you were finally there. And then we started telling people. Yep, that's right. Uh, everyone calling you Dr. Morgan Lemmer Weber posted on the internet, right? Yep. And uh, and we invited some friends over and went to go get cupcakes to yep. celebrate. Um, we may have, we still have a few cupcakes left. We, we may do. have some after this episode. Yeah, it was, it was cold and raining but it's still a pandemic so we sat on our front porch under there's a little roof on our front porch so we sat outside in the cold and the rain but covered from the rain and socially distant and socially distant and sat like you know six feet away from our friends (laughs) and drank some sparkling cider and ate cupcakes and right as right morgan's the slowest eater of the entire group so right as morgan is finishing her last bite, I said, and right now is the moment where Morgan wants to say, but is too polite to say, thanks everybody for coming over. I'm cold and wet now. I want to go inside the house, which was true, but was you wouldn't true. you wouldn't have said it otherwise because it would have been rude. Also, to be fair to my slow eating, people were also asking me questions. That's true. That's true. But our friends understood. And also then um, we've spent most of the weekend quasi-relaxing, although we're about to go plant a bunch of plants, including one that a friend got us as a celebration for you getting be, getting your PhD. Yeah, if you, if you give a friend roses, they have roses for a couple weeks. If you give a friend a rose bush, then they have roses for... They have the Dr. Rose Bush. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to say that we'll have roses for life because I don't know if I trust our abilities to keep it alive for a life, but... <laughs> we're going to call that thing Dr. Rose Bush. Yes. <laughs> But it's been a comparatively relaxed weekend, certainly comparative to many other things. You still have some writing to do left Mm -hmm. in your dissertation, and your graduation is not until December, I think? Yeah, because of the pandemic, they are having a hybrid graduation ceremony in May, but it's like the graduates can come in, but they have to be alone. There's no friends or family are allowed to be there. It's socially distant, and then they're going to like stream it for people to watch or i had the option to choose december graduation which by that point hopefully everyone will be vaccinated and be able to have a slightly more normal in-person graduation ceremony yeah so before we wrap up let's be realistic here there's a good chance that some people listening to this episode are listening to it because they they want to decide whether or not to go to grad school and for you, I think the decision was worth it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this is what you wanted to do. And, and yeah. you knew that since you were, like, in middle school, right? Like, yeah. this is what you wanted to do. Yeah, I decided in eighth grade that I was going to study art history. And you wanted to teach. And I wanted to teach. And here I am. Right, yeah. But let's also be realistic. We know people who have gotten PhD programs done in incredibly short periods of time or really long periods of time. And... And we also know people who started PhD programs and did not finish. That's right. And for you, do you want to do this? When did your process start and when did it end? And uh, Well, my process started in eighth grade when I had a school assignment that you pick a university, you pick your major, and you write a project paper thing on how your life is going to be. And you took it. Which, it turned out pretty similar, except I... 
did not think it would take me this long. But my advice to people who are considering whether or not they want to go to graduate school is if there's nothing else you would rather be doing with your life and you are dedicated and passionate about that topic and you have the means to do so then yes go to graduate school and you're also understand what your job prospects are yes i'm gonna be honest with you there's a very real possibility that i am not going to have a job in my field well in the near future hold up so before we end this episode also morgan is now employable (laughs) if you or your organization or institution would like to hire a art historian with a background in digital humanities who can both program organize conferences teach art history know some language crap and all those other types of things and is involved in the free and open source software communities and or maybe your library or museum or just digital humanities project any of those things feel free to reach out because morgan is now going to be hitting the job market but before we get there let's say Morgan should take some time to not stress about the job market stuff, because I know Morgan's already getting stressed now, me mentioning the job market thing. And I actually think it's worth you taking a few weeks to not worry about that, too, because A, you have to finish your edits anyway, and B, you should be able to kind of recover from that entire process. But this would... And the window for academic jobs is basically closed at this point for academic jobs for fall. Yeah, but there are other, right, there's other things also there's other in, things, in, yeah. in museums, in digital humanities, other types of things. But let's let's also say this is, when we said we were going to do this episode, like your your question to me, I think, was like, well, I don't know, is there really anything to say? This is like going to be like a five or ten minute episode. I think this, I, I haven't looked at the time. I think it's, yeah, this is like, it's almost an hour now. So obviously there were more things to say than that. But. Well, I think. Part of the benefit of this is that the academic process for graduate school is fairly opaque for people who are not in it. And it, like we said at the top of the episode, it's going to be different for, you know, depending on what your field is, depending on your department, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But hopefully some people find this useful. And in the meanwhile, before we sign off... Congratulations, Dr. Morgan Lemmer Weber. Thank you. All right. I think that's a good place to wrap up. All right. Take care, everybody. Thanks. Bye. Foss and Crafts is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. It's hosted by Morgan Lemmer Weber and Christopher Lemmer Weber. The intro music is composed by Christopher Lemmer Weber, meaning myself, and Milky Tracker, and is released under the same license as the show. The outro music is Enchanted Tiki 86, composed by Alex Smith of The Cynic Project, and is waved into the public domain under CC01.0. See cynicmusic.com for more information. You can get in contact with us on the Fediverse, Foss and Crafts, at octodon.social on twitter as at foss and crafts or you can email us podcast at fossandcrafts.org we also have a chat room join our community hash foss and crafts on irc.freenode.net if you'd like to support the show you can donate at patreon.com forward slash c-w-e-b-b-e-r that's it for this week until next time stay free and stay crafty
was it dyed in the wool before you spun it? Yeah, it was it was dyed in the roving. 